This is a HeadGum Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature-regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not, like, getting too hot or too cold or whatever. You know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it, like, doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But More than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful, and it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code FAKETHENATION at the checkout, and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today. You'll get 40% off. Use the promo code FAKETHENATION. Go to trymiracle.com slash FAKETHENATION. And Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fakethenation and use the code fakethenation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fakethenation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 299. Hello, hello. This is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we wonder if Elon Musk is, in fact, powerful enough to add an edit button to Twitter. I'm your host, Nikita Farsad, and I love that Elon Musk's power is being measured in something so dumb. You know what I mean? It's like the entire internet was almost broken because the question was, is Elon Musk powerful enough to add an edit button? Um, Today, Elon might come up in conversation, but we will on purpose talk about January 6th. You know, stuff around that, the cast of characters, uh, the drama. We will talk about the surrogate shortage, which I had no idea was a thing, and the maybe related decline in sexual activity. Yay, boo. I am so excited by today's uh, panel, you guys. They have both been on the show before, and they're both just, um, oh my gosh, so fun. I'm so excited to see this brew of panel come together. Uh, Joining us um, again from the Stacks podcast. She's the host of the Stacks podcast. You loved her on Fake the Nation. You should immediately subscribe to the Stacks podcast. It's so great. It is the wonderful Tracy Thomas. Hey, Tracy. Hi. Thank you so much. Always love your intros. They're just so enthusiastic. <laughs> but they're full. But they're but they mean it. I love um, it. <laughs> and. 
Um, we are also joined by a comedian. Oh my gosh, he was on the show like years ago before Biden. He was on the show. Um, he's so funny. I, I, I've been, I've had the just the honor of seeing him work, uh, and he's so, so amazing and good. And I've, I, and I was just trying to remember what TV show I'd seen. I'd seen him on recently, and I think it was Search Party. He is so fucking funny and great on camera. You just will love everything that he does. It is the wonderful Joel Kim Booster. Hey. Hello. Um, yeah, it's uh, thank you so much for maybe seeing me on television. <laughs> no, but here's the thing is that you've been on so many shows in the last like couple of years that I couldn't pinpoint exactly which thing okay. I was. I loved seeing I'll you. Take in. It. That's, I'll take that's it. the added compliment of my confusion. Um, <laughs> here we go. Let's get into it with topic number one. So I've been hesitant to talk about the January 6th committee because I was waiting for something death de- like definitive to happen. Uh, and I might not get that definitive moment that I've been hoping for because justice doesn't do a clean three-act structure is what I've learned. Mm. So instead, we're just going to check into the muck that is the January 6th cast of characters. And I want to start with Jimmy, Ginny Thomas, our producer, Danielle, our, our wonderful producer, Danielle. Uh, she actually had actually sent me an article about the Ginny Thomas affair, a couple of weeks ago uh, and her involvement. Ginny Thomas, for those of you who don't know, is wife of everyone's favorite Supreme Court justice and resident style maven, Clarence Thomas. Mm. Uh, and she, they they unleashed a, a trove of text messages and she had sent, um, I think it was like 29 text messages uh, to Mark Meadows during the whole... Um, you know, the the election debacle. Uh, so December and January of, 20, of 2020 and 2021. And, you know, I'll just give you a couple of examples of stuff that she wrote, fun stuff that she wrote. She wrote The Greatest Heist of Our History. Um, and she she kept telling Mark Meadows that, he, that the president should not concede. She wrote, quote, help this great president stand firm, Mark. You are the leader with him who is standing for America's constitutional governments at the precipice. The majority knows Biden and the left is attempting the greatest heist of our history and there's a lot of like interesting like capitalizations and happening in these texts she wrote heist of our history with a capital h like she's already titled the novel that she's writing about this Uh, She wrote this one I thought was really fun. Evil always looks like the victor until the king of kings triumphs. Do not grow weary in well-doing. The fight continues. I have staked my career on it. Well, at least my time in D.C. on it. Um, And so I just I, I love how that text kind of ended with like this whole thing being about her and her sacrifices. Um, So I guess my first question to you guys is like, had you even heard of Ginny Thomas as being a person in this world <laughs> and involved? I'd in only it. heard of her in the context of this story. And, you know, she is sort of continuing the long grand tradition of embarrassing white partners for people of color. Um, <laughs> It's so I do true. Love it. I do love it. Not that Clarence isn't embarrassing. And I have to say, I have a white partner and I'm way more embarrassing than he is. You so are the embarrassing. Don't tweet right, at me. Don't you. tweet okay. at me. <laughs> um, yeah. I Had you heard of her, Tracy? Yeah, I had heard of her um, because she is consistently an embarrassing white partner. <laughs> Says I, another person with a white partner. <laughs> I am the embarrassing one. Um, I had heard of her because she had been pretty awful to Anita Hill. 
um, like oh, demanding shit. an apology yeah. from her like 10 years, years after ago. everything yes. in 1991 or like 12 years I don't know a few years after and I had also heard of her and this is like a stupid story which I won't tell but when my brother was trying to get an apartment in college he pretended to be Clarence Thomas's son because our last name is Thomas and so when I heard this story a few <laughs> years after I obviously had to google who his actual family was that's fucking incredible crazy. did it work it really did quick. It, it, it did he the, the guy was like a racist didn't want to rent to my brother so my brother said do you know who my dad is and he said my dad's Clarence Thomas and then he called my mom and it's like how can we make this happen and my mom got a cashier's check because that can just be directly from the bank and then the guy cashed it and they got the deposit and then he was like okay he's not really my dad or the guy was like I don't think that's your dad and my brother was like yeah but you're racist I got the apartment thank you very much have a nice day oh so, my god so yes my my sort of surrogate father Clarence Thomas who we love we yeah. adore oh, yeah. opening adore. doors for all of us He's so charming, just generally yeah, charming. Yeah. Love, love, love. Um, I just want to read one more crazy text message from her. She wrote, Biden crime family and ballot fraud co-conspirators, open parentheses, elected officials, bureaucrats, social media censorship mongers, fake stream media reporters, etc., are being arrested and detained for ballot fraud right now in overcoming days and will be living in barges off Gitmo to face military tribunals for sedition. I think that was one of the sort of like... QAnon you talking think? points that she was then texting to Mark Meadows, which I was like, oh, that's, I, I guess it's, I mean, I guess in terms of like messaging, she's very consistent. Like she will not break character even in a personal text message. Like yeah. she'll keep it QAnon, which I, I gotta thought say, would be fun. I would, a prison barge off the coast of Gitmo. That sounds like so chic. Well, uh, I mean, we're talking about the Caribbean, guys. Yeah. Let's just get real with what that means. If I'm going to be if I'm going to be thrown in jail for stealing an election, then I might as well it might as well be a barge. Right. Yeah. <laughs> off the coast. So, so there's this crazy thing with with Jenny Thompson. I should note that the only reason that they obtained these particular sets of of communications is because um the committee had to go to the Supreme Court, basically, um, that in, and the Supreme Court ordered the, that communication to be transferred to Congress. Uh, and the, the vote for that was eight to one. And that one dissenting vote to get that, that information transferred to Congress was Clarence Thomas. Now, it seems to me, and look, I'm no legal scholar, all right? But it seems to me that Clarence Thomas voting on something that has to do with the wife of Clarence Thomas is the conflict of interest. Yeah, just yeah, the baby one. For sure. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, like when they've been doing these hearings for uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson, they yeah. were like, you need to recuse yourself from this Harvard case because you went to Harvard or whatever. It's like, like the well, widest yeah. net. Yeah. It's like you're black and you went to Harvard and there's an affirmative action case that involves Harvard. So you can't be judicious and like fair about that. But Clarence, please tell us what you think should be done with your wife's text. It's like whenever yeah. you get a chance, please allow us to know. It's like insane. It's crazy. So my last question on this is, there was like this piece that came out this week about how, uh, you know, I don't know if it was a leak or whatever. Are there real leaks anymore or is everything just a spoon, a, a, a strategic leak? Who knows? But that basically Biden is kind of like, hey, Merrick Garland, there's a bunch of criminals running around and like a ton of evidence. I mean, he he never said he never said any of this directly to Merrick Garland. 
But he's kind of like, why aren't we doing more prosecuting? Like, why is this committee just sort of laboriously working into infinity and getting more and more documents? I mean, like, how much, how long is this going to go on with there being actual stuff happening? And so my question for the both of you is, like, do you feel like Merrick Garland should do something and then it should be blah, 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 and it's an election year and it maybe steals focus from elections or maybe it confuses the populace into thinking Democrats don't do anything except for prosecute Republicans or what do you think are the political implications of like Merrick Garland doing stuff? I I think that for four years or so, we were sort of used to this um, level of partisan shenanigans in the Justice Department. And I think what we're seeing now is like an over, maybe not even an overcorrection, but I do think that they are they are aware of wanting this to seem as above board and nonpartisan as possible yeah. going into this. And so I think like this is what you get when you when you appoint Merrick Garland. You yes. know, he is like a steady like like, you know, he's not, he's not into the partisan theatrics. And I think he's he's taking his time um, in a way that is, you know, definitely frustrating. But I think um, ultimately it's it's what you get when you get Merrick Garland. Right. Guys, I such agree. a diplomatic response from Joel Kim Booster. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's in that the article from the New York Times. It's in there. It's like Biden's upset that that Merrick Garland's acting like such a judge. It's like, yeah, bro, you hired a judge. Like, right, right, if you right. wanted a cutthroat prosecutor, like, there's plenty of those <laughs> you could have hired. But it made me laugh, Nikine, because it reminded me of the last time I was here and we were talking about holding a grudge. And I was thinking, like, if I was Merrick Garland, I would be fucking <laughs> locking everybody up. I was like, yeah. you guys screwed me out of this seat. I am here. I remember. I'm taking names. Who didn't want me? Let's fucking go. Let You got a parking ticket, motherfucker? Lock him up. Like, I, I would be like all over it. I feel like you're vindictive nature is yes. wasted on podcasting I you know agree. what i mean you There's need to no, be in yeah. a way more yeah. <laughs> like yeah. ri- rigorously like maybe, i should just be yeah. the attorney general yeah 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 like Fully i feel like available. that's the case we're making yeah someone <laughs> well, else know, can talk about books <laughs> <laughs> well we're gonna take a quick break and learn about our sponsors and when we come back we'll move on to other topics I am the type of person that has subscribed to things, and I have forgotten about those things. I have paid twice for a children's educational app, and I didn't know that I was paying twice for several months. Until that is, I discovered Rocket Money, and because I use Rocket Money, it just showed up all these things. The thing that I was paying twice for that made me incredibly angry, thank God, Rocket Money ended that for me. It also cancels the subscription for you, so you don't have to like go through the hassle of going to that site and figuring out how to cancel. They actually make canceling very difficult. I don't know if any of you have had the experience, but I have been on a like a roundabout eight exit nightmare trying to unsubscribe to something before. Rocket money eliminates that hassle. It also alerts you to an increase in subscription price. And this is something Rocket Money did for me. It negotiates a lower price for something you already subscribe to. So like for my cable bill, it got me a lower price. And I was very happy about that. Nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about, which makes me feel better because I'm one of them. But it makes me feel terrible because what are we doing? Losing that money. Uh, I don't want to waste that money. And I know you don't want to waste that money. If you struggle struggle 
with these kinds of purchases, if you struggle with finances in general, Rocket Money will help you with the budgeting, help you track your expenses, help you, like I said, cancel those unwanted subscription. It's a personal finance app that finds and cancels unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps you lower your bills so you can get back to saving. I mean, me and my husband have been on the warpath and rocket money has been a really big part of that. It has over 5 million users with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. The average member has saved up to $740 a year using the app's features, which is, I mean, that tracks for me. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions. Go to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Save the money at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Thank you to Angie for sponsoring this HeadGum Podcast. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Indeed. So if you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Yeah, doing stuff yourself seems fun, but then you actually get to, you know, solving a problem and you realize that mm -hmm. you can create 10 more problems and then you probably should have just paid a, yeah. a professional to deal with it right off the bat. You can easily injure and or maim yourself as well. Yeah, you don't want to do that. No. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. You just get the app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. It's very convenient. It sure is, folks, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. So download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Thank you, Angie. Angie.com. Thank you. We want to tell you about a podcast we think you're going to love. It's called See the Thing Is, and it's hosted by Grammy Award-winning R&B artist Bridget Kelly and media personality Mandy B. Every week, Bridget Kelly and Mandy B offer grown, honest, and slightly toxic perspectives on all things music, pop culture, and of course, dating and relationships, which is my fave. Do you have a hard time finding new music? Are you a millennial who misses what life was like in the 2000s? Are you interested in multiple perspectives on relationships? and dating? Are you interested in a non-male bashing podcast that holds both sexes accountable? See, the thing is, is a podcast that allows space for a wide range of thoughts and emotions. Most recently, the ladies sat down with Big Frida and Chloe Bailey and just huge names. Van Lathan, who's one of my favorite people to listen to, to chat about movies. So the conversations they're having are phenomenal. Join Bridget and Mandy every week as they update you on everything going on in the world with their polarizing hot takes. Subscribe to See The Thing Is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on YouTube. New episodes drop every Tuesday and Friday. 
are back. And, oh, before we get into um, more topics, I just want to remind everyone that I am going to be in Chicago on April 15th and 16th. I'm going to be in Joe's. I'm going to be in, uh, so yeah, sorry, Chicago at the Lincoln Lodge. You can buy tickets. Um, you can find the information on my website. I probably posted it on Twitter. Uh, it's theoretically available um, wherever you would naturally look for these things. But it's, I'm going to be at the Lincoln Lodge. It's going to be a really fun show. It's Nagin Farsad Presents. An evening of comedy from her mouth hole. I'm so excited to come to Chicago with this show. Um, you're really helping me figure out this hour. So so come out, and I would love to see you. I'm also going to be at Joe's Pub in New York City on April 30th, May 21st, and May 22nd. And I'm going to be in... Um, Ralph's Rock Diner on May 6th in Worcester. I'm going to be at the Irvine Improv on May 4th. Um, and uh, we're, we're adding some, um, some more dates in the coming weeks. So, you know, I will continue to tell you about those. And let us now move on to topic number two. Okay, so this isn't like full topic number two because I'm going to bring something up that is very last week, which is the Will Smith situation. I was away last week. My kid was doing spring break. Uh, so, you know, that meant me and a toddler doing fucking body shots and wet t-shirt contests. You know what I mean? That was like we were just hardcore doing spring break. And uh, I missed this whole story, essentially, because I was kind of being offline and I was trying to like detox and mentally cleanse. So, um, so why would you want to return to it? I, know. I just don't under, I do not understand. Like you were well, so I lucky. Missed, You're not. so lucky that you missed <laughs> it. You didn't so have to say just... anything about it. And now, we, and now you, this is self-flagellation. Because I know. No, but this is, here's the fun thing. Because I didn't have to hear and read 7,500 takes, I feel like it's like a fresh and interesting thing for me. Whereas for you two, I saw the visible like deflation that you both experienced when I said the yeah. Will Smith affair. But like, I, so just quickly, well, just quickly, what were your favorite takes um, from the week and has have your opinions changed at all in the 10 um, interceding days? I don't even remember so many of the takes. They all sort of blend together. I have yeah. to be honest. There was It was a huge dump. I think my probable favorite take has to be Judd Apatow saying that he could have killed someone so quickly after. Like his immediate response was he could have killed someone, which, you know, for me, I love the drama. It's the Oscars. We need heightened psychotic behavior. So yeah. that's a yes for me. <laughs> I, I No, I agree. I agree with Tracy. I thought it was incredible. Um, it was amazing television. I... Don't really remember. I, I also like all the takes have sort of blended together into yeah. motion my brain. So it's hard for me to like pinpoint one. I have to say though, like, I think that like my general takeaway and what a take I agreed with is, you know, I don't necessarily think that there are any broader takeaways to the culture writ large from the slap. Okay. This was, this was two this guys. This is my favorite take that there is no real take. Go there ahead. is no take. It's yeah. two guys. Chris Rock has been, you know, making jokes about Jada for years. Um, mm -hmm. And it is clearly there is personal beef there. And this is about two grown men 
who had beef and that's it. And that's where it stops. I don't yeah. like as a comedian, I'm not worried I'm going to get slapped um, by an audience member now. I don't think I've gotten any that question so many times. Yeah. Have I, you gotten I, that question I, about being slapped? Like, are you worried about doing comedy? I was like, no, what are you talking about? Why would I get slapped? I don't know. I just thought the, the knee jerk reaction of so many people was to say to ask their nearest comedian, are you worried about getting slapped? And I thought yeah. that was such a strange byproduct of this affair. Sorry, Tracy, you were going to say. Well, what I was going to say to uh, to Joel Kim's point is like, I don't I don't think I think that there, of course, are like bigger implications about, you know, like the culture from any interaction from any people. Right. Of course. But I agree that I don't really think that this says much about anyone else. Like I like a lot of the takes that I saw that I despised were the ones that were like, now black people are set back a hundred years. I'm like, this is insane. Like of all of the (laughs) celebrities who have like been obsessed with a proximity to whiteness, black celebrities, I feel like Will Smith is the one. So if he is now thrown out with the bathwater, the rest of us have no shot. You know what I mean? And like that to me is just like, (laughs) so I choose to see this as just like two dudes who know each other, who don't fuck with each other, got in an altercation and for the world to see. Bad location maybe to do it. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe great location. You tell me. But also like, and no one cares about Jada. And that's the ultimate thing. It's like, you didn't do it to protect Jada. You didn't make the joke because you thought you were being cute. Both of you guys screwed Jada over ultimately and now she's the one who no one even cares about so like you know I just think it's done it's over um I I like these takes because also the flood when I just like googled googled it when I came back the flood of like op-eds that were written about it had these huge like um geopolitical world order like world historic like momentous occasion takes and i was like i'm not sure that like just a thing that happened at the oscars is that fucking important you know like it isn't i i kind of agree that it was just like a thing happening between two two dudes and yeah there was misbehavior like and i also just want to say that um i i at first when i first heard about it i was like i don't understand this joke about i didn't remember anything about gi jane it's not a movie that stuck in my memory like i had i was so when you have to then i then had to like find the explanation of the joke which which already was I was already like oh I'm bored because I don't understand what the joke was in the first place um so anyways uh yeah so I I I like I like both of your your takes that it is not at all um that it's 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 not it shouldn't move beyond the sphere that it was in if anything, like, I don't think that comedians should get beat up. I don't think that comedians should have things thrown at them. Um, do I think that more comedians yeah, should be slapped? That's a very controversial position. <laughs> yeah, I do think that more comedians should be slapped. Um, I, like, this is the thing that's sort of been lost in the, 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 the muck and the mire of this conversation uh-huh. is not all violence is created equal, everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay? It was an open palm slap. Spe- uh, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. a gentleman's down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, just speaking of comedians, since you both are comedians, have you both watched the Ruth Daniel? Um, oh, yeah. Which- I loved it. 
Okay, well, I don't. What's that? Can't tell me. I don't know. Oh, no, it's I the haven't. Gerard Carmichael special, um, and it's fantastic. It's like an hour. It's on HBO. And here's the thing. And I don't. No offense. I don't love comedy. I certainly don't love comedy specials. It's just not something that I'm Same. very into. But that is fantastic. <laughs> and if you're telling stupid lame mm-hmm. jokes about 1997 movie starring Demi Moore, and you get slapped because you offended someone or whatever, like maybe reevaluate your comedy because Gerard Carmichael did something that people aren't doing, and it was great, and it was fresh and it was funny and it was really like cool and it was a conversation and it should be watched and like maybe there's a question for comedians writ large that is like what could we be doing that's actually funny and interesting and speaks to right now instead of just telling tired jokes about Ooh, Demi Moore's hair a challenge has been was, laid at our feet that was a riff by the way it wasn't in the teleprompter oh right it was a riff I know could you imagine yeah. that being the riff that comes yeah to I know like it's like I think it's I think it speaks to a certain level of like I don't know Maybe yeah. improv isn't your thing, Chris Rock. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe stick to the script. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like standing backstage. I mean, but also, can I just say that that's happened to me, right? Where I'm standing backstage and I'm going on in, you know, uh, Dubuque, Wisconsin or whatever. And um, Iowa. What? Iowa. No, sorry. It's Iowa. But it's Iowa. Okay. <laughs> um, I get confused uh, about that one particular city because I, per- I landed in the airport of one but performed in another. It's on the border. Okay. Um, but, but you know, where you sort of like saw something in the in their local paper and like, oh, I'm going to mention that on stage. It's going to go, you know, when it doesn't really go over where you're trying to like make a local connection. And then, and I've been there, you know, it's not like Chris Rock is, is alone and making a joke that isn't good. Uh, it's like an ad that he did, that he thought of backstage or whatever. Like that happens to everybody. Um, yeah. All right. My favorite, I, I have to, my last thing is my favorite thing that happened is is people very earnestly sort of going like well what if will smith was a woman and what if chris rock was also a woman or what if chris rock was a child would you still think the slap was funny then you know like all of the wild hypo like hypotheticals that came out on twitter where it's just like well good thing neither of those things were true what if if chris rock was betty white like yeah it's like well he wasn't yeah what if you know she's dead now like can you what if ants wore teeny tiny pants you know like we could go on forever it's fun it's fun i'm really yeah i'm i definitely miss those what ifs all right let us move on to topic number actual two there's been supply chain issues all over the world that have delayed the arrival of your new couch by months and there's another gap in the supply chain that hasn't gotten nearly as much attention apparently there's a crazy shortage in surrogates there are just not enough of these wonderful women who are willing to carry other people's babies to term uh and of all the effects of the pandemic i was really surprised to hear about this one were you guys surprised to hear about this I was not because I am, um, my husband is an OBGYN and I am of the age where many of my friends are looking at uh, options for pregnancy. Yeah. Um, And so I was sort of aware about this as well as like a lot of the heightened um, anecdotal, I don't want to say this is real, but heightened anecdotal complications that have come out of COVID and pregnancy. So I sort of knew that there were new questions and conversations around surrogacy, IVF, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I also have like very limited anecdotal sort of uh, experience with this issue because I'm of the age of gay men where we're starting to have babies via surrogacy. And I know that a lot of, a few of my friends have had some struggles finding uh, a surrogate um, to have a baby with. 
Yeah, I mean, it's so there's a there's a range of reasons why this might be happening, um, and one of them is a lot of the surrogates. So first of all, I didn't realize, but some large proportion. Of it, we read an article about this, but the article didn't specify exactly what percentage. But some large percentage of of these people are actually women, um, military wives. And they sort of do this um, on their side to boost their family's income. Uh, and some other percentage, and I guess there's a there's a crossover there, are also unwilling to get vaccinated. Some large percentage of surrogates are unwilling to get vaccinated. And a lot of parents uh, who are looking for surrogate services are, you know, they want someone who's vaccinated so that the antibodies go um, to the baby and because if they do get COVID during the pregnancy, there's a lot, there's actually more dangerous repercussions for the pregnancy if a, if a, if a woman gets COVID. So that's like one of the things that was happening just on a, on a medical front was this mismatch of vaccinated surrogates with like parents wanting vaccination. Uh, which again, I, it's like, I don't know who surrogates are or what, if, if we can define them broadly. But I was surprised to hear that such a large proportion of them um, you know, weren't vaccinated. And I knew I'm, about this, a friend of mine, her, they, um, did surrogacy and their, their surrogate was, uh, in, they put the embryo in before the, before the vaccine had been approved by the FDA. Mm. And so it couldn't be part of the contract. Right. But then during the pregnancy, it got approved and then their surrogate refused to get it because to it wasn't it. in the contract and they couldn't, ha- they didn't have any leverage. Um, so I thought that was really interesting because now the conversation is because it's approved by the FDA. Now there's actually like legal grounds to put it in because before it was like an experimental treatment. Right. Um, and so I think that those sorts of things are going to continue to evolve and change as COVID continues to go on. Because, you know, if you were doing surrogacy in 2020, there was no vaccine. And then in 2021, it was experimental, you know, so like. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it's so odd. And then here's another one. Um I didn't know that a lot of these, um, some of the reason that the surrogates don't want to do it is because they want to travel. And there's like, a, there's major travel restrictions on when you're pregnant for some months, you can't get on a plane. And I'm, I imagine some of these contracts are a little bit more limiting even um, despite the the, the, the the official months that you're not supposed to travel, which I think are like month eight, basically, and nine. Uh and, and and that kind of makes sense, right? Like that you wouldn't want to, that you wouldn't, you know, you're like, I've been cooped up for two years. Like, let me go to Italy. Yeah. Right. And I think uh, that surrogates have to have had at least one of their own children before they can do surrogacy. So that means that wait, most of really? these- Wait, really? I'm pretty sure that might be depending on the agency. Agency, But I yeah. think, I know, again, anecdotally, everyone I know who's ever done surrogacy, their surrogate has had at least one child, um, have had one of their own biological children that they have, um, you know, raised. Right. And so that also, I think, complicates things because it's not like a young, you know, 22 year old who's just like having babies for other people because she wants to make a little extra money on the side. Like a lot of these women have families that they're raising as well. And so I think that that was also in there. It's like you have three kids and now you're cooped up with them and you want to be able to go out, but you're also now six months pregnant or something and like dealing with higher blood pressure or more exhaustion or whatever. So I think that like some of that is part of it. 
Uh, yeah, that what the the just general struggling with pandemic parenting, which sucked for everybody, and of course would suck for for surrogates as well. And and I think, I mean, again, it might be an agency rule, but I think you're right. The article sort of detailed everyone that they mentioned had already had a child, so they would all also be parents um, in the thick of it. And then another crazy part of this was that. The Ukraine, by some measures, is the largest surrogacy hub in the world. And so as of, you know, February, when the war started, uh, a bunch of surrogates just haven't been able to do the job because of the war, which I was just like, what a bizarre side effect of a war that's already horrible that like, you know, that it's well, there are there are currently surrogates who are pregnant. And yeah. are not able to get out over there, which is, you know, that's a Pulitzer Prize winning play if I ever heard one. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> the, the women who are stuck yeah. there. And it sounds like from the article that some of the women who were pregnant have had the children yeah. and are now mm-hmm. like raising these other people's children I, in war torn Ukraine postpartum. Like, oh what? That, I mean, that was that was there was an anecdote in the, the article about a woman, an American uh, surrogate who had the baby, but because of restrictions getting back into china mm-hmm. um she raised the baby for like seven months before um heading back to uh, the ba- before the baby was shipped back to china and then had to be quarantined in china being watched by who knows who and then finally like almost a year later was was handed over to the mother and that baby i mean that's got a really i don't know man yeah. that seems fucked to me um, oh my god i was just like you know because uh i i have a kid uh and i was just thinking about being you know and we even eat i i didn't use a surrogate but like we we've just talked about in abstract of like would we use a surrogate ever if we wanted to have another one or whatever and the idea that of that the baby would be stuck somewhere mm-hmm. i mean just made just reading that part of the article like was making me sweat like i couldn't handle just even reading about it it sounded so fucked um but yeah guys check out this piece it's called desperately seeking surrogates by danielle braff in the new york times and uh and it was just you know uncovering a phenomenon that i had no well, idea existed and now that we know tracy that you are the wife of an OBGYN, <laughs> you are officially the fake the nation expert thank you. on all things pregnancy. i am a doctor yes yeah. of course yes thank please God. take my medical <laughs> advice very seriously thank you i gotta say like obviously this is impacting gay men to a certain degree because oh, yeah. uh, we rely on circuits heavily. And I, I gotta say that like, um, the, you know, I'm adopted. And the first thing I always sort of ask gay men is like, why have you considered adoption as an option? And it's actually incredibly difficult to this day still mm-hmm. for to gay adopt. couples to adopt in this country. It's yeah. way more, it's like very expensive and there are barriers in place that make it incredibly difficult for us to get improved um, for adoptions. And and making it easier for gay men to adopt is not necessarily going to make surrogates less vital to our community because there is a certain amount of narcissism that goes into wanting to have a child. And right, if you right. want to have a baby that looks like you, like yep. more power to you, I'm not going to judge, but it is, you know, a, a thing in play. But I do know plenty of gay couples who would love to be able to adopt, to adopt. a child and just yeah. simply aren't able to. Um, so that's also fucked. Yeah. And yeah, the other thing I, that was, I'm yeah. oh, sorry. The Please, other thing that ahead. I thought was really like 
the whole the I think the article did a good job of like reiterating how important surrogacy is to the gay community for gay men, because I think that people don't think of that. I think people only think of women who have had a miscarriage or something like that. But like that this idea that these women who are carrying babies to term or who are carrying babies, period, are are doing this. You know, like there was a woman who. Who was, who was gay herself, I believe, who felt like called to be a surrogate specifically for gay men. I thought just all of that was really interesting. The thing that I was like, this is so fucked also, is the women were making $35,000 and the agencies were charging like $100,000, oh, $120,000. Yeah. And then the women were like, we would like to make more, which fucking yeah, you're yeah. carrying a baby. <laughs> exactly. like holy shit i've done it it sucks it's hard as fuck yeah, like this isn't an uber situation you're yeah. not getting a ride share it's a surrogacy bit should more not be like the gig economy yeah, um, yeah. a part of that exactly well, it's crazy well, something that the article doesn't t- didn't touch on that i'm only aware of um because of the cesspool that is twitter is there is like a, a huge radical <laughs> feminist sort of backlash to surrogacy in general like there are a lot of uh, feminists especially in europe right now who uh, believe that surrogacy is sex trafficking, uh, a form of sex trafficking, and it is like intrinsically um, uh, misogynist, and um, women should not be asked to use their bodies as incub- to be incubators. And it's so it's so fascinating because it is like this weird um, battle right now between gay couples and, and and radical feminists, and it's it's an interesting one, and it's one that like I you know luckily I'm not in a place where I'm thinking about having children anytime soon, so it's not something that I'll have to reckon with myself um in any uh future you know for for a while but it is it does seem sort of complicated the issue of surrogacy in general you know what's funny is i i've had a a a really weirdly rosy view of surrogacy because one of my you know really good friends from college uh and his husband they were the first ones i knew to have kids i had kids pretty early um and they you know they use a surrogate and they have two kids with the same surrogate and they have this beautiful relationship with her. So she's like still in their lives. The kids know her. Like they just have kept this thing going with this woman. And the, the pro, you know, it's like the process was expensive, but it was like lovely. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, oh, surrogacy is like this lovely thing. And it like, obviously like my friends are so happy with their kids and with how everything turned out. And I was just like, well, this is surrogacy. Surrogacy is just rainbows and delight, you know, <laughs> like and it's, and it's because of these friends of mine um, who had such a great experience. So I think obviously there's like, I, there's, you know, there's takes on what it means, but there's also like, why would we take away the agency of women from earning money in this way if they can? I mean, there's like also that. I don't yeah. know. In well, the, in I some states, some states still have, um, states in America still have rules against paying for pregnancy. So like, I don't right. know that you can do surrogacy. I don't know if this is still true, but you used to not be able to do surrogacy in New York State. Um, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So there are certain states maybe where, yeah. Changing. Yeah. I don't, I can't remember when my friends had children, their their kids now 12. So, but I know that when they did, they they had to have, I think their circuit was in Pennsylvania like New Jersey or something. Or something. Right, yeah, right, right, exactly. right. 
Um, okay, well, folks, let me know what you think. Uh, did you know about the surrogacy shortage? Uh, and check out the piece. It's so illuminating. Uh, let us move on to topic number three. So we read a piece in the New Yorker called How Everyone Got So Lonely by Zoe Heller. And the piece points out that the Journal of Sexual Medicine, which I love the title of that journal, the Journal of Sexual Medicine, found that the pandemic had caused a small but significant decline in American sexual desire, pleasure, and frequency. Uh, and one of the things the, the article talked about in the, in the beginning was that evolutionary psychologists speculate that there's like this behavioral immune system that protects us in times of plague by making us less attracted to and less motivated to affiliate with others. Um, and I just thought, oh, has this behavioral immune system, have you, did, did this ring true for you at all? That the idea that during a pandemic, you would just be like, ew, no thank you, just to, to most everybody? Yeah, and, um, I, I gotta say, I did not experience this. Uh, <laughs> I um, no, I like. I think within the first week of lockdown, one of my number one priorities was making sure that there was somebody in my bubble I could fuck. Um, so I literally like we screened and I made sure that it was like within the bubble. But um, yeah, no, I was definitely making sure I was fucking during the pandemic. <laughs> See, you are like outside, you're an outlier point in this uh, data from the Journal of Sexual Medicine. I'm are you not- kidding me? All that time, like nothing to do? What, what, <laughs> what, were, what were other people doing? I myself ha- was definitely in the no sex zone, but in my defense, I had twins in December oh. 2019. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think that's what put you in the no sex. Exactly. So I feel like yeah, I, yeah. I cannot weigh in. I was raising small children. And as I mentioned before, my husband is a doctor. So we actually like moved away from him for five weeks. We lived with my brother. Like it was my pandemic experience has been very not sexy at all. Um, we've bounced <laughs> back since, but like I I definitely I feel like maybe it wasn't the pandemic itself, but it was the stress. Oh, yeah. Of the pandemic and of yeah. infants and things. So I can't speak more broadly. I wish that I was fucking but people in the bubble instead. But alas, here I am. Well, so we've talked about this issue of like, you know, I actually think that we talked about this before the pandemic when there was another article that came out that was basically speculating on why sex, there's like a decline in sex. Now, this is like a new decline in sex. So it's, yeah, I guess, specifically with, millen- with, it, with millennials, right? Yeah, millennials and Gen Z, right? The, the ones who are sex having age. So the proportion of American high school students who are virgins has risen from 45% to 60%, which is huge. That's since the 1990s. That's a really big uh, decline, it seems to me. Um, The people who are in their early 20s are two and a half times more likely to be sexually inactive than Gen X were at the same age. Hmm. Uh, Again, I... It's I don't understand. I mean, so okay. So the big the big question is why? Because they live um, with their parents. Well, that's deaf. That's and they were on lockdown for the last two years. Yeah, and they weren't going to school functions, and there was no and there's prom. so much shit to do on your phone now. Yeah, I mean, that's horrible. Gen X wouldn't have been having sex either if they had Wordle. Yeah, you know? and TikTok. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so sexy is Wordle, um, but you know what's interesting is I was I was chatting with someone recently, and they were they were sort of like, 
you know, at a whisper telling me that they had kind of like a really fantastic pandemic because in those early months of the pandemic where things were very legitimately closed, they got into like a group of Italians who were doing these kind of like circuit party, circuit parties is the right word, but like they were like basically bouncing from restaurant to restaurant, inviting everyone they know, kind of opening the restaurant to people. And then they would like, hopefully not get a citation from the city but if they did you could get one citation and not be shut down completely you know what I mean so I'd be like get one citation they'd be like okay that restaurant is burned and they would move on to another one and I just imagine and I wasn't surprised to hear like that there were people doing that they were basically were, having parties were they fucking yeah that's well, what I'm no, thinking about no, they just so eating they pasta were, they, no they were like <laughs> This was, they were just like having party, like fun. I mean, I'm sure there was some fucking involved if people met at these parties and then enjoyed themselves. But it was just literally underground parties. It wasn't, it, 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 in, in some ways it's kind of cute and, and, not, and sal- not salacious in that way. Just that they were like having a good time. And a lot of them were Italian. I don't know. But I sort of thought, I'm sure there was a lot of that going on. For me, I thought if I was in my 20s during the pandemic, I could have pictured myself at one of the, like being just, you know, reckless and going to a party like that and, you know, and being like, fuck it, I'm 22, you know? Um, but I get, but according to the data, people were not doing that. You know what I mean? And that's what I think is funny. Um, I mean, obviously, I think it's great that people weren't spreading COVID, but I'm just surprised that people weren't spreading more COVID in in, in secret fun parties. Yeah, I would like to see too. I, the 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 study was just not, I guess, it was too broad. It was so broad that it's hard to take away a ton of conclusions from it because, especially like two things, I, I would love to see the numbers regionally. Like, I'm sure in Florida, yeah. the numbers are much higher than they were yeah. in California you know, or or right. other places that were like heavily locked down in cities like New York or, or LA uh, or San Francisco. And the other thing too is I, I think the reasons why Gen Z are having less sex is way different than the reason millennials are having less sex. I agree. I really do. Because I, uh, you're you're starting to see this, and I have read other um, articles, not studies, but there is a, a fairly significant backlash to sex positivity happening within the Gen Z crowd right now i think that like and, like and how actually, is that backlash taking shape i i think though i i think there is this idea that um i don't want to speak too out of turn on this because it, oh it's, my it's God. something Fake that the is, nation is all about speaking yeah. out of turn uh, i think that they there is just a general backlash against the idea of sex positivity and that sex positivity has actually gone too far um and like you know they're they're sort of pulling back on the, you know, oh, uh, people shouldn't be having as much sex as they, you know, are. I, I'm simplifying. Yeah, I'm sure, sure, sure what what many Gen Zs would say is the reason. But it's yeah. just that you're it's funny that you mentioned this because I literally wrote down here like sexual looseness. Are we celebrating it or are we not <laughs> celebrating it? Because I think um, that's like I, I think that's the, the the big question with the with people in their 20s right now is like are you guys is there a cultural thing about like fucking a bunch I mean I think when I was in my 20s which was just yesterday but I feel like when I was in my 20s there was a lot more just like 
you know, it, it was it, there's it was a, a lot more like, you know, have a one night stand and then talk about it at brunch the next day. And it was kind of just like, I don't know, celebrated isn't the right word, but it wasn't like shunned or, you know, it was just a little bit more in the ether. Tracy, what I do think, you think? I think also, you know, for for Gen, the elder Gen Z and the younger millennials, um, I think also like consent has become a part oh, of yeah. their sexual lives in a way that I don't think it was for me and an elder millennial. Like, I think like what you're talking about, about like have a one night stand and whatever. And not that that's not consensual, but this sense of like, is our, what are we consenting to when we consent to sex? And what does that look like? And like boundaries and all these language, all this language that we now have started using around sex. I think that they are living some of that too. Like, yeah. like, do I have to actually have sex with someone like to be cool, you know, or like to be a man or. Yeah. You know? I think right. that, I think that is the prevailing yeah, attitude yeah, that yeah, is shifting yeah. is that like uh, sex is not as cool as it, it didn't, it doesn't carry the same cachet that it did. Yeah, it once I did. Think. And I and and can I also just say one thing that the article brought up, which I thought was a really interesting point, is that we've never experienced the extent. We've only experienced the extent of sort of like women's independence with respect to consent um, in since twenty seventeen, right? Since the Me Too movement, like the, these ideas have only been popular for four or five years. So now it, we're now experiencing the first cohort of women who get to decide what is their se- and they don't they still they still have to deal with consent issues. Obviously, I'm not saying they don't, but they have a little bit more agency and they have a little bit more like awareness that they are in control of their sexual lives. And so we're going to see for the first time how much sex do women even really want to have. But I also and, think it's know? not just the women. I think it's I think it's men. I think that it's uh, I think it's people who are gender nonconforming. I think it's people who are uh, non-binary. Yep. I think that it's I think it's a co- more of a conversation about sexuality and sex versus or sexuality versus actual sex right like i i i've heard a lot of conversation around like this whole like don't say gay bill right it's like oh we can't talk about like men who are married because then we're going to make kids gay and the the conversation comes back yeah. to like sexuality is not just right. sex right and yeah, i think that younger yeah. people are starting to understand that they can be fluid and they can be physical and they can engage with one another and it doesn't actually have to be sex and so i think to yeah. the point like about the studies sort of open broadness is like what are we defining sex as what like I know a lot of young people like, yeah. uh, who have not had sex but have had sexual encounters right and like all of these types of things I think are I just think that they're looking and thinking and moving around sex and sexuality in a different way than elder millennials and gen x and previous generations All right, folks, let me know. Hit me up with your theories on what you think is going on with this this decline in uh, sex. Um, All right. That is the end of the show. I'm so excited that you guys were here to join me. This was so much fun. What I want to happen right now, though, is I want for the people of Fake the Nation to know where to find you and all the wonderful things that you do. Tracy Thomas, where do they do that? If you want to find me and more of my voice, please go to your favorite podcast app, search for The Stacks, uh, and click subscribe. And you can also find me on at The Stacks Pod on Instagram. The Stacks Pod, folks. Immediately subscribe. And Joel Kim Booster, where do people find you? 
Uh, you can find me on social media on Instagram and Twitter at I hate Joel Kim. Um, I have a movie coming out June 3rd called Fire Island that I ah! wrote and that I'm in. It comes out on Hulu um, on June 3rd. Oh my God, I'm so excited. So cool. That's amazing. By the way, I'm also in a movie that's coming out on Hulu. I didn't make it though, but I'm in it. Uh, but it's coming out in August, so we won't mention it. But I just want to say uh, we have this in common. Um, except for yours is cooler because you made yours. I'm so excited to see it. Folks, you know where to find me and all the things that I do. Remember, I'll be in Chicago. I'll be in Irvine. Uh, I'll be in New York City at Joe's Pub. So uh, please uh, come check out those shows. But what I would really like to do is thank all the people that make this show a reality. That's our fantastic producer, Danielle Jones-Wesley, our amazing sound engineer, Stephanie Aguilar. Our theme music was written by the incomparable Gabby Alter. And as always, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can email us at fakethenation at headgum.com. Um, by the way, don't forget to send me your races to watch or your electoral contests to watch. Uh, you can join the Patreon for bonus content and so much more at uh, patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. And we'll be back in your earballs next week. That was a HeadGum Podcast.